the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, looking live from an embassy suites somewhere <laughs> in Arizona. I don't even know where. It's Matthew Penny. Penny, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Happy to be here live via Scottsdale. I've had a, a little bit of a wild day. I'm out here for Hoop Hall West, one of the best high school tournaments in the country. Uh, I've, I've tried to check a few boxes while I'm out here. So the first one I did was I had to go to the airport, right? I had to fly, get on the plane. And it's a five and a half hour flight. I get on, the TVs are not working. So I had a little bit of work to do. And uh, they tried to reset the sound on the TV and uh, it didn't work. And the guy three rows in front of me still watched Home Alone 2 with subtitles. Like that was commitment to the, the holiday season. So I thought, all right, this is a little bit of an interesting start. Landed, uh, got the rental car, then I, I jetted over to Arizona State. I said, I'm, I'm in town. Let me go see Bagley. Let me see how he's progressed. He did not practice. He passed a lot of chest passes, a lot of bounce passes. I left. I set up, and, and here we are. Uh, we get to record a little bit and then get to go watch some live games here in a few hours. Love it. So yeah. we're going to get Penny out of here hopefully under an hour. We say that often. Nope, but no shot. <laughs> this time we legitimately have a plan. Most of the time, we just have like a vague sense of what we're going to do. This time, we've got a plan. So, the first thing we're going to talk about, we want to talk about the race for the number one overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft and how it's shaping up at this point. Because it feels a little bit more open than what it was at the start of the season. Not a lot more, but a little bit more. The second thing we're going to do, I solicited people on Twitter for questions and I'm going to ask Penny three of the questions that were uh, asked of me and Penny on my Twitter feed. I did this while Penny was checking into his beautiful Scottsdale <laughs> Embassy Suites. I was, yeah. We, we should stop great. saying Embassy Suites, by the way. No no free ads. No free ads. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, I, I opened up my Twitter account. I said, why do I have 20 notifications? I've been pointing <laughs> out. I didn't say anything controversial lately. Maybe this will, will come up and then you let me know. Hey, I, I asked the uh, I asked some listeners. How about some questions? So I don't know what I'm walking into here either. It's great. It's yeah, a big mystery be, day for me. It's going to be great. Uh, finally, we're going to talk a little bit about movies because I have watched a lot over the course <laughs> of the last... Uh, Last week or so, uh, including the Beatles documentary, Get Back. It is, mm. I've watched the first two episodes. It's like seven and a half hours, by the way. Uh, it, it is a, it is a long, long thing, but it is, uh, it is incredible. So the first thing before we get into any of this, though, I do want to remind people, please go subscribe to the new Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini YouTube channel. Uh, it's really important that you go and subscribe to that because it's just the best way for the podcast to grow at this point is to watch us uh, give takes on the internet. You can see my ridiculous receding hairline. You can see Penny's uh, just beautiful head of hair. Uh, <laughs> yeah, r- ridiculous good. hotel room in right now with a, a nice uh, a southwestern painting. We, we, we have it all here. <laughs> we have it all here. This is the dream with the Game Theory Podcast. So... Please go subscribe to that YouTube channel. It would really, really support the show. That would be the absolute best thing, along with leaving ratings and reviews uh, on the podcast, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever platform you're using to listen to us ramble. Let's dive in, though, to the discussion for the number one overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft. 
Coming into the season, I would say that there were two names, realistically, that people thought had a real shot to go number one. I, I would say that the consensus number one guy was probably Chet Holmgren. I would say that the consensus number two guy was Paulo Bancaro. Yep. Chet Holmgren, obviously a seven-foot center from Gonzaga, very skinny. Paulo Boncaro, a bit more of a ready-made product, six foot ten, shot creating forward, uh, who is headed to who is going to Duke and is at Duke currently. Throughout the course of the season, a couple of other names have emerged. And I kind of want to compare and contrast Jabari Smith, who is a six foot ten forward, smooth shooter, has some shot creation abilities, although that's still developing, good mobile defender as well. He's at Auburn, and Auburn has been very good this year in part because of him. As well as, I think someone that people are surprised has emerged into this conversation in Purdue point guard Jaden Ivey, who is six foot three, long arms, incredible athlete, uh, and has really improved in terms of his overall skill level clearly over the course of the last year. So I'll, I'll just start by asking this, Penny. Coming into the year, mm-hmm. did you think that this was going to be a bit more of an open conversation for the number one overall pick? Or would you have almost guaranteed that the number one overall pick comes from one of Paulo Boncaro or Chet Holmgren? Probably the latter. I, I'd say it would come down to Paulo or Chet. I I liked, if you go back and, and dig in the, the old episode archives, we liked Jabari Smith. I, I had questions. I, yeah. I didn't know the physicality, how he would kind of like translate to that. And all the reports are he's been great in the weight room. He, he's gotten bigger. He's extended his range. He's a really good trailer shooter from three. And then Jaden Ivey, you, you never really know what the jump is going to be from freshman to sophomore year. And, and he surprised me in a very good sense that the jump was so significant that I'm surprised we're even talking about him as a, a number one pick candidate. And, and people went crazy when I post a little video saying, like, is it crazy to have this conversation? I'm not saying he, he's necessarily in the mix, but the way I, I look at it and the way I talk to some NBA people about it is you look at the NBA right now and just, and just the way it's structured, it's still very much so a guard-dominated league. So when you have a player like Jay Ivey who, even in the highlights – like his energy that he has on both sides of the floor and the way he disrupts things on both ends and and the passing stuff he's added and the shots better and he's finishing more in the break and the pick and roll he's done everything I've kind of wanted him to make as a leap but I thought it would leap kind of like to the 10th pick but I think we'd be doing him a disservice if he's not at least in in the talk when you're talking the top four and potentially three two one depending on which guy or which team I'm sorry would have that pick So, yeah, the way that I want to format this conversation is I want to dive deep into all four players, uh, at least like for a five minute conversation, and then kind of make a pick almost at the end based off of our conversation and based off of uh, everything that we've just said. So you kind of brought in the conversation on Ivy. So we can start on Jade and Ivy, I think. Ivy has really, really impressed me in terms of adding to his skill level at a substantial clip. So I've always been on the train of, I think Jaden Ivey is going to shoot long-term. You look back through the high school numbers over the course of his sophomore, junior, senior seasons, even though he shot 26% as a freshman during his first year at Purdue, in those final three high school seasons, 
he shot over 40% from three on a not like insubstantial number of shots. I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that like it was a crazy volume from the numbers I've seen, but it's not nothing either. And given how confident he is as a shooter, given some of the streaky flashes he showed as a freshman, I mean, I remember talking to Ohio State staff and they were like, yeah, like, you know, we thought we'd be good going under ball screens on Jaden Ivey. And then he just knocked down four threes against us. And we were like, well, they're performing the scheme. Like, what can we do? Like, (laughs) he just hit four threes on us. Like, it was nothing. So, yeah, like, great job, right? Like, tip your cap to him. (laughs) So, I've always been more on the, like, I think Jaden Ivey is going to shoot. And I think he's going to shoot. Within, like, the next couple of years, if not even, like, this year from three. And so far, so good. He's shooting 40% from three on 4.4 attempts per game. Uh, Some of those off the catch, some of them more creative in terms of getting into an inside-out dribble, into a crossover, into a step back, right? He's shown some real flashes as a shot-creating pull-up three-point threat. I wouldn't say it's the most consistent thing in the world, but he's there. The biggest thing with Jaden Ivey, though, is that he's such a dynamic, powerful athlete. He is the best transition player in college basketball. Like, no question about it. The way that he is able to get up the floor as quickly as he can, start Purdue's offense... And make live dribble passes, like, almost on a wire. Like, it's almost like he's just absolutely flying, you know, sprinting, walking a high wire between two buildings. (laughs) And And then he throws, like, a left-handed cross-corner kick-out pass for a three. And you're just like, okay, like, what is this? Like, this is stuff that he didn't do last year. The passing has substantially, substantially improved. And I think in large part, it's because the handle has improved. Like, he can really, really handle the ball now at an exceptional level. I, I am very, very impressed. Like, his, he is very dynamic with the ball, and it's really improved his ability to make live dribble passes and spray the ball across the court. Uh, without having to gather, without having to like jump stop beforehand. And I think that that's kind of the addition to his game that has really transformed him from a guy that I had in the lottery in the preseason to, okay, like we kind of need to talk about this guy now as a potential number one overall pick. De- definitely something to talk about too. And when you look at the numbers, and, and I'm always kind of looking and digging into synergy in, in different places post game, not when the game's going on. And I'm just reading off the stat now. He's in the 99th percentile in all pick and rolls, the 97th percentile in scoring off of screens. So he's doing that in the half court, and you're saying he's the best transition player in the country. So you yeah. do those two things, and uh, part of the difference for me too is in transition, when he, uh, that pass all sticks out when he got in the lane and, and darted to the corner for a three. That would be in like the third row last year. So it's it's controlled chaos, and then he's going a million miles per hour, but then still placing the, the right pass in the right place. What also intrigues me is I, I don't think he's a point guard, and we talked about it a little bit 
last pod here. I think he can play some point. I think he can play off the ball. But I also see that as a, a benefit in that if you have your secondary guy, your secondary creator, ball handler, to have those type of creation-type skills that he has in addition to the scoring package, in addition to... I don't know what the secret sauce is right now at Purdue, but all those guys are buying in. So when he's not playing the the whole entire game and he's going out there at a boy each other, like Trevion Williams is coming off the bench for Zach Eady and, and he's being hailed as the best teammate in the country, like maybe I would start Trevion Williams over Zach Eady. So he's he's been this alpha but still fitting into everything that they're doing, which is incredible when you're building an NBA team because that would be the type of role that he'd come in and play. He's not going to be like this dominant alpha number one guy from the start. So I, I like everywhere that it's going. I don't personally think it's quite where the, the next crop of guys is, but it, it's been eye-opening. Like I, I've enjoyed watching the process and – I've waited for the dip. I've waited for the drop where some of these guys have played five games and then it's like, eh, we're kind of back to earth a little bit or, or players yeah. are improved. Caleb Houston started hitting some shots. Tyta Washington's been good. We'll talk about them later. He's been consistent. He's been steadily top of the pack for me where he's a, a no-brainer, top five pick, depending on where the ping-pong balls bounce and at least somebody that has to be in, in that esteem of that top three area too. So I'll just kind of ask you, why do you think he's not a point guard? Uh, I don't think he plays point guard for Purdue. I, he's he's more kind of off the ball, and, and they'll run up off those like crazy screens. He'll circle back around, he'll right. get a dribble handoff. But he's not the primary initiator, and, and they have a couple guys that do that more than he does. I'm not saying he can't do it, and he he said all the right things. I, I forget where the interview was. I don't know if feel the sixty eight or what, but he said he's he's modeling his game after John Morant. You can kind of see that in, in the way that that he's playing too. I'm just yeah, not totally and for what it's worth on that, his mother, Neil Ivy, mm-hmm. was an assistant in Memphis right. before she got the Notre Dame uh, women's head coaching job. So it would make sense. Like, I would imagine that they've connected in some regard there. Yeah, and it, it's a good archetype to try to be in, in the way he's playing right now, that the way Josh's playing right now. And that's why I think NBA teams are, are like maybe this guy has, has even more. I mean, I, I didn't know this layer was here from a year ago. Like what else is still in there where he's going to get a, a higher usage rate as the season goes on and maybe the bench shrinks down a little bit more. It's crunch time. He's called on to score. Uh, but he's done, he, he's done it all in the half court. He's done it in the open court. He has explosions still at the rim. He's really good body control. I, I like that he's a two-way player. He buys in on defense. He buys in away from the ball. He, he has that like free safety kind of mentality where he's jumping a, a pass away and trying to push the tempo too. So there's a lot to like about him. So I do think he's a point guard. I will just say that. Like mm-hmm. I, I think he has shown enough to me at this point to play the point at the NBA level. I'm, I'm still like – you know, a little bit skeptical. Like, I think it's going to take time for right. him to really, truly learn all of the half-court reads out of ball screens. Like, we're seeing that a little bit uh, before Jalen Suggs got hurt. Like, we were seeing that before with Jalen Suggs. I think Ivy has a much more technically uh, impressive handle right now, which is where right. Suggs is struggling a little bit. I-, I think that he's been a little bit too casual with the ball at times. But... I also think that Ivy also is going to take a little bit of time to learn all of the reads he needs in the NBA in order to be an elite level guard. I'll be honest though. I'm real close to having him in the top three. 
Ooh, uh, I, I, like it. I like it. I'm very close. Yeah, like, I'm it, not saying that he's like. I, I think that he is. Uh, he's the real deal. I think. He's he's definitely like, the real I'm, deal. Like, I'm I'm, I'm a thousand percent yeah. co-signing that. The the other guys that he's with are just just dim, different structurally. They're they're different players, <laughs> so it's not even head to head. It's like what's what's your preference? Do you want to have a banana? Do you want to have an apple? They're all the same. Okay, so let's go to the next guy. Who do you want to go to next? Let's. Uh, I'm thinking probably Jabari Smith. Yeah, we can go Jabari Smith. We can go Jabari Smith. Okay. So J- Jabari for for me has I feel like watching his games at Auburn he's almost like growing up before our eyes like a, a super yeah. a super prospect but I remember that UConn game late he, he kind of went takeover mode you, you need to see that and, and now in, in games since then it's not just the trail catch and shoot I'm in the mid post pinch post make a play now he's getting a little bit more comfortable with one to two dribbles step back one to two dribbles pulling up one to two dribbles going to the rim so he's even like evolving the the type of offensive player that he is and I was already intrigued enough with the defensive stuff the lateral quickness uh, the way he stretches the floor both in different types of offensive sets like that was the the thing for me that really pulled me in it's always shooting at that size and and having more floor spacers but playing with uh legit nastiness and and through physical play in the paint at the rim that's why he's he's on an upward trajectory for me it's going to be hard to get that one two uh conversation for my money but again though another guy that's going to have if he's number one on a couple draft boards like i'm not gonna be surprised I think I would have him at number two right now. Oh, I thought you were gonna say one. No, so who's, I, I so have who's him. going? So who's going to four? This is the hot take machine. If, if Jaden Ivey's three, if Jabari I, Smith look, is I still two. have Jaden. I still have Jaden at four, but okay. it's close. It's very, yeah. very close. Um, I have Jabari Smith at number two right now, and the reason is that he is six foot ten, and I think he's one of the best shooters at that size I've seen. Mm-hmm. In terms of being a prop, like his, I think he is still 18. Is that right? Uh, I think so. I can look up on the fly here, but it sounds right. Yeah, I believe he's still 18. And just the mechanics are pristine. The results are pristine. Everything you could ask for from Jabari Smith as a shooter, he puts it together. I mean, there, there's just nothing, there's nothing to complain about there. And on top of it, his defensive ability is pretty real. Like he's a great weak side rim protector. And yep. he can slide his feet in space and really defend. So I look at Jabari Smith and I like his frame a little bit better than Chet Holmgren. I definitely mm. like the shot better than Chet Holmgren. I don't love his defensive instincts in comparison to Chet, but Chet has like preternatural D- different defensive though. instincts. Different though. Because J- Jabari, I'd say, like even, yeah, even more like in the lanes, more active hands than, than Chet does as the active yeah. hand rim protection. As, as a quick note, don't, to cut you off, he is 18. He turned 18 in May. His dad is 44. Yeah, that was the first age that popped up, so I'm like, I don't think he's 44. I know we have super seniors in college basketball this year. He's not one of them. Are you worried with Jabari Smith at all? One, one kind of negative here is yeah. he, he still needs more strength at his base. And, and what I've noticed a lot, too, is some of these drives, which I, I was complimenting for him to, to take – there's been more guys, and I'm sure this is part of the scout, like digging down from the perimeter, poking the ball away, punch the ball away, and, and he will turn it over. He's made a, a couple crazy like post-entry passes for turnovers that I didn't like. Does any of that stuff kind of give you pause, or is that just part of the process of, of him figuring it out too? No, it absolutely gives me pause. I think that that's really my concern. 
right yep. now is his ability to handle the ball, his ability to make plays whenever defenders like really crowd into him. I, I would like to see him do some more, uh, do some more with that. Like I, I think that there is more room for growth with him as mm-hmm. a real shot creator, as a real driver, uh, essentially as someone who I trust to make plays, but because he's so good already defensively and because he's such a good shooter, I think he's someone that can get on an NBA court pretty quickly yes. and then work to improve just that, like, look, part of it's processing, I think, and part of it is um, just overall ball handling ability. I think that if he improves the ball handling ability, the processing, which isn't bad already, no. like he's not bad in terms of feel for the game, I think that'll come. From him. So I, man, like if you're telling me, I think he has a higher, in terms of the way the NBA is going right now, I think Jabari up, Jabari Smith, his ceiling is higher than anyone else in this class, I think. Higher than If he becomes a real shot creator, if he becomes like someone who can handle the ball, and we've seen some flashes there already. The shooting is already so high level. The defense is already pretty good. He can essentially be one of these big six foot nine, six foot ten wings who are shot creators. Like there, there are like some Paul Georgie outcomes. I think in his absolute ceiling. Like yeah, right. if he, everything he'd, he'd goes have to, right. he'd have to polish up the dribble a lot. Like I don't, I don't think that yeah. he's, he's nearly in the stratosphere, Paul George. But that's that's the absolute yeah. top of the ceiling. Sure. He's nowhere near there yet, but neither was Paul George when he was young. And Jabari is such a high-level shooter entering the league and is already pretty good defensively to where it's hard to find guys with that kind of size who bring those kind of skills to the table already. And I know that ball handling is hard to improve, but there have been enough flashes there already to where, I don't know, man. I, I think there's some of, like, I think there is some of that there. There, there, there's some, and, and also this is this is a very different player, and I don't want people to freak out because Evan Mobley's been really good, but one of the knocks I have on Evan Mobley, and I have to teach myself every time I look at a big to not make the same mistake I did last year and have him fourth, should have him second, another story another day, is that Evan Mobley, a lot of his stuff last year, where he would drive to the middle, he'd drive to the paint, he'd get bumped off his path, he'd still score, but always my concern was what happens in the NBA when that rim protector is is bigger and, and even stronger than the guys you're playing in the Pac-12. But like Mobley, yeah. he still finishes at a really high percentage because he has such a soft touch. So a normal yeah. 12-foot shot may turn into like a little bit of a 14-foot fadeaway because you got an elbow on your back and you kind of have to adjust. But, well, and, but and on top of that, too, like in college basketball – He's getting an elbow in the back and he's getting like a knock from the side. And then he has like a rim protector in front of him because right. the court is just so condensed in college basketball compared to the NBA. Yeah. And, and, the, and the stuff on him right now is to, to pack the lane, pack the middle. And it, he, right. he's a tough assignment because he can shoot from three, put it on the floor a little bit. The, the handle has to tighten to to get that level, but that I get, I get all the ceiling stuff. I'm, I'm excited for, for him as a player too. And I'm not mad if I get that guy at, at three or four, I, I think I'd be ecstatic. Okay. Let's go to Chet Holmgren next. 
Yeah. So, Chet has been a bit more of a mixed bag for me. He mm-hmm. is seven foot one, seven foot tall, something in that range. Seven foot six wingspan, an utterly elite defender. Uh, I don't really think that there's any argument against that. W- what we've seen so far from him has been genuinely impressive. Like yep. you even look at the Alabama tape. I thought he was excellent defensively in that Alabama game. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. I know that they lost, but they lost because a lot of their perimeter guards and wings and uh, players out there, uh, and especially Drew Timmy, who Alabama repeatedly attacked with ball screens, just struggled uh, defensively to manage uh stopping Alabama from getting into the paint and then driving and kicking or stopping Alabama from getting some open off-ball three-point looks. So I think people look at the loss to Alabama, they look at the loss to Duke and come away a bit less enthused with Chet. I came away from the Alabama game with no slight toward Chet Holmgren. Uh, uh, you you look at the way J.D. Davison, who consistently got into the paint against Gonzaga's perimeter players, you look at what happened when Chet rotated over. I, I mean, J.D. Davison just was like, "No, I'm I'm not going." Here. <laughs> there, there's like, a lot. There's a lot of those clips where guys from the lane and say, "Yeah, I think I'm gonna go back here now. I'm not. Yeah, gonna, I think I'm, I'm not gonna, go gonna, I'm not gonna try this." And like J.D. Davison's like an aggressive, athletic, yeah, like guard tries to pull the rim off. Yeah, like really can attack and like he could probably dunk on Chet if he gets the right angle on him. So like you see a guy like that kind of pull away. I mean, there were times where Chet like came over and JD like would panic even and would like throw the ball away. So I I think that Chet was excellent defensively in that game. I think he's been outstanding defensively the entire season. I'm more worried about the offense than I was coming into the year, though. Interesting. And I'll let you kind of take the floor from there. Oh, see, I, I, I've been enthused with everything because I, I've seen this this play here for, I don't know, three, four years now of going through our circuit yeah. and then watch them in high school and watch them in USA Basketball. I, I see, like, it, it's just building blocks. Like, I, every one of these is a step. People say, hey, he didn't play the last 10 minutes. What was up with that? I don't know. Like, he's probably learning that he has to play harder in offense. He has to rotate more in defense. He's still a, a freshman. He still has to figure it out. Uh, the weight thing is what I think scares a lot of people. And especially, we'll, we'll go back. Including me. By yeah. So, so you go back. You, like you, you go back. You back to the Duke game. And, and Paul Bancaro buries in the post. He dunks. He gets dunked on by Mark Williams. Chuck keeps coming back for more. We do have to remind ourselves, too. Like, I, I saw the, the tweet this week that it was Giannis Antetokounmpo's 27th birthday, which is insane that he's only 27 years old. He was 190 pounds coming to the league. Now he's uh, 225, 230 pounds of, of muscle. Looks like a completely different player. So despite us wanting immediacy, it may be just a patience play where he needs time to put on weight to get to that level. He may not be able to with his frame. But it's the same thing with Jabari Smith. Paul Bancaro... I don't know how much bigger he's going to get. 
I think I think it's different with Jabari. I mean, Jabari weighs more than he does already. He, he like, does, but, and, but like, my the point is look better. Like he's no no question. Ch- Chet is still 195 pounds. I don't I don't want to like get that twisted. But Jabari needs yeah. work in his base to be able to play. Chet needs a lot of work in his base and a lot of work <laughs> up front too. So it, it's different, but it's still a weight room where Paul Bancaro looks yeah, like yeah, he yeah. eats weights for breakfast, and, and that's the difference. Is that this is more of kind of like a, a finished product in a sense. Bancaro can still add some more shooting touch and, and do a little bit more off the dribble and not just be a, the king of the mid-range for Chet it's just going to take more time you're going to have to like wait and see how it plays itself out but all the offensive stuff he does at his size and he's still handle and rip and run off the rim and start the fast break and then kick it out and, and space back you have a few hesitations with his jumper I think his jumper is good he, he can make tweaks he's a, a really smart really sharp kid I don't think he's yeah. not going to take the coaching he takes constructive criticism uh, he knows defensively, like there, there are, despite all the, the accolades and the clips we see out there of him blocking shots, there is stuff where he's just a, like a little bit late and he makes up for his wingspan. He's not going to have yeah, that luxury. His, his closeouts this year have been a little bit off, yeah. I would say. They have, like a little, they have. Like he'll, he'll like close out a little bit too hard or he'll close out like on an angle kind of and allow a baseline drive or allow uh, like a drive toward the middle when he shouldn't be allowing middle. Like there, there are some, there are some things he needs to tighten up on defense, but yeah, he's not a perfect defensive prospect, but he's, he's as good as you would expect a 19 year old to be on defense and, and, and like anticipate a 19 year old to be on defense. And it's, it's funny because I, I have Paulo number one on my unofficial official board. And I think like, despite everything that's gone on, the last two weeks, and they kind of seem like ships of the night maybe passing. I'm more of the camp of, like, ready to put Chet back into number one because what we've seen he's able to do despite the lack of strength mm-hmm. and what it can be. If we're tanking, and we're seeing a lot of NBA trades now, guys buying in, we're going we're gonna to yeah. blow it up and start over. That's a guy I want to blow up and start over with. Okay, so I'm going to be a 10% downer here. Not, okay. not like a heavy down. We'll take it. Like, I, I think that Chet Holmgren is a much better prospect than, for instance, like James Wiseman was. Right? Oh, and boy. Yeah, I hope J- so. Yeah, and James Wiseman went number two in the right. 2021, uh, 2020 NBA draft. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, take all of this with that in mind, right? Like, when I say all of this, I'm a big fan of Chet Holmgren. Offensively, where I'm a little bit worried right now is I do think the jumper is on a pretty flat trajectory and it takes him a while to load into it. Mm-hmm. He has much more margin for error with that because he's seven foot with a seven foot six wingspan. Like he can afford to take longer to gather and load into his shot than other players can without getting contested. Just because A, he's tall and his release point is higher. B, centers are going to be defending him and they're just going to be a bit slower to close out given the way NBA defenses work, right? Yes. So the thing that worries me more even than the jumper, though, I don't... Like, we talked a lot about his ball handling coming into the year. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a lot of grab-and-go stuff that is impressive. Like, I think that out in transition, when he has some open space, I think he's pretty good as a ball handler. Like, I'm comfortable with him you know, grabbing and going in the NBA. Like, I think that's going to be fine. I don't think I feel good about him doing it in the half court. Mm. And the reason for that 
is that he really just does not have a lot of explosiveness. Like, at the rim, he doesn't have a ton of vertical pop. Like, there have been plays where, like, he's down, he should be, he's in the dunker spot, he should be ready to, like, jump up and, like, tear the rim off. And he just, like, kind of goes up and, like, lays it in. Or, or like, puts his... Arms up and like well, his sta- his standing reach is ten foot nine. Like he doesn't have to jump if he doesn't want to. I I'd argue my point counterpoint is yeah. that's that's strength though. That that's squats. That's power. It is that, that that's weight room. That's more so. I know it he is. can jump. I, I've seen it. That's just getting in the weight room and, and actually doing. But have it. you I, seen it in the half court though? The, like I've seen it in the full court settings. Yep. I have not seen it as much like in half court settings where where I do see it more. To be honest. When he, like, rotates over on defense and, like, really loads up, he does have, like, a little bit of vertical pop. But right. he seems to not bring that offensively. And then it's kind of the same when he's handling the ball. Like, we, we compared and contrasted him in the preseason a little bit with Evan Mobley. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've long thought that Evan was a better ball handler and just a bit more dynamic in half-court settings. Everything I've seen this year kind of says that to me, to be honest. And, again, like, this isn't like the worst thing in the world. No. I just think that you start projecting where Chet Holmgren is going to have to play. Mm-hmm. NBA teams, I think, are going to be hesitant to put him at the five to start his career. Yes. Because of rebounding and because of just his frame and not getting, you know, beaten up and getting injured essentially from the wear and tear that occurs over having to play 82 games Mm -hmm. in, you know, what, five months or whatever. Right. But offensively, I don't know that he has enough ball handling ability and shooting yet to actually play the four. Now I think that long-term he's a five and it's going to be fine. Like I, I think that four years down the road, He's going to have no problem playing. I mean, look, like, he'll have problems rebounding, I think, in general. He's an okay rebounder right now, not like an amazing rebounder, mm-hmm. uh, just due to his length. In the NBA, I'm a little bit worried about it just because of how uh, strong and physical those guys are. But I think he'll be able to manage that if you put the right guy next to him. Like, if I'm the Knicks, like, I would love to put him next to a Julius Randle, right? Like, I think that would be, like, the perfect person to put next to a Chet Holmgren. Now, I guess that what I'm saying is like, he has the offensive game of a five. He has the defensive game of a five, but the frame of a four. And I worry that teams are going to play him at the four to start his career. And those lineups are not going to be very successful because you're going to play him next to a five. And I just don't necessarily know how, I don't know how that's going to work. Like, yeah. I, I guess that like I'm worried about the success level that he has early in the early in his career with NBA teams uh, from a team level. Even though everything we say about Chet Holmgren is that he does everything from a team first perspective. He's a great passer. He puts his body on the line. He's tough, physical, aggressive. Like, I, I love everything about who Chet Holmgren is as a person. And I love everything about who he is as a defender and uh, what his mindset is. I just really worry about the frame and the way that that will bear itself out in the NBA with certain coaches. 
framed, yes. I, I think this is where we where I diverge a little bit because I didn't think John Morant was a point guard. I also don't think Chet is a five now. I'm much more of a believer in his skill set in the half court as a four because yeah. he, he's playing still within the constructs of what Gonzaga wants to do offensively. So he can do more stuff from the wing. He hasn't like tried to, to push and do too much and show the behind the back and the crossovers. And in high school, he's big for like two dribbles, middle, spin back, and then he extends and dunks and he yells. A Co- couple flashes of that at Gonzaga, but like not as a, much. A, a little, right? It's like it, it's not that Yipsy prep game where he's playing Amani Bates and every single play, they're kind of like hitting him at the top of the key saying, all right, do what you need to do. Like, go ISO. Right. I, I never envisioned him as like this point guard initiator guy, but more of this really walking mismatch where he has the ball skills of a, a more fluid wing type player and, and not a big and, and that'll be an advantage especially with his size like when in, when he does bulk up but for right now when he gets on the court in the NBA those are the type of switches on screens and, and switch back and he can pop out and then kind of have like the the elbow isos or, or from the wing so I, I, I that's where the the split is and why I think I, I'm higher and you're lower ironically is that I know there's more there because uh, I I believe it because I've I've seen him play more wingish and right. uh, I've said this before I credit Gonzaga for they told me he's going to play the guard he he is like he he's a perimeter guy like he's out around the three point line they're not running cross screens every play for for him and Drew Timmy so it's uh, there's uncertainty it's it's scary at, at number one not knowing. And you, you hope that you invest and you do enough homework and, and see where it can pan out down the road. So I, I'm higher. I, I'm more of a believer in Chet, and I, I just buy his tenacity too and, and being a good teammate and having two points and Drew Timmy having 37 and not huffing and puffing on the sidelines. And we need to make it's a big, yeah. big play in a big totally. game. He, he can do that too. So they, they seem like a pretty connected group that had a couple of tough losses here the last week. They'll bounce back, and I, I fully expect him to do the same. Yeah, and look, like I said at the top of what I was saying, like Chet Holmgren is a no doubter, like top four player in this class, I think. Right. And I think he's better than a good amount of the bigs that have recently had that status um, entering the NBA. Like I said, like I have a higher grade on him than what I had on James Wiseman, uh, who I had at number two in that draft, and he went number two in that draft. So. We're talking about a high-level prospect in chat. I'm just kind of trying to navigate in my brain the way that it's going to work. And, and, and the final gonna, guy and how here, he's going to play. Yeah, yeah, and, and how he's going to play. The final guy here is Paulo Boncaro. Paulo has done nothing but help himself this year. Like, mm-hmm. the, only, the only real concern you can come up with is that he has kind of cramped in multiple big games now. And <laughs> we're, we're a little worried about that, though, right? Like, we're, we're laughing off, but the, yeah. that, that graphic that he loses seven pounds per game, that's a lot. That's significant. That, I, that I don't, seems I don't know. aggressive <laughs> yeah, to me. Like, yeah. like, two or three after a workout, you get on a scale, like, all right, feeling good, right. Then you have lunch, and you blow it out, and you're, you're, you're plus two. But for minus yeah. seven every game, and it's a shorter season in, in college, you have more time to recover. The, the NBA is no breaks. It, it's 82, it's playoffs, it's preseason, you're on the plane, you're, you're gone, you're playing not as many back-to-backs obviously as it's been in the past but it's go 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 like you don't have time to to recover the, the luxury of, of what you have with a current college schedule so it, it does make me pause a little bit too and say well, what do we got to do here to improve this yeah no i agree like i think it's going to be essential for him to figure out how to 
keep electrolytes and like weight essentially in yeah. his body keep water weight in his body um it seems like duke is trying a few different things like they've yes. given him this like special drink or whatever uh nonetheless i think that's like the ultimate like picking nits uh scenario with paulo at the moment uh six foot ten elite level shot creator in the mid-range you give him the ball in the elbow he can jab step he can you know hit a crossover into a step back. He can do an inside out into a step back to the right. Like everything that you want from a mid post mid range shot creator. He's got it. The three point shooting is coming around a little bit. I think he's up to like 33% from Mm -hmm. three uh, on what? Probably like three attempts a game right now. Roughly. Um, Yeah. Overall, there's very little to complain about with Paulo offensively. He is an unselfish player. He makes high level passing reads uh, is so technically impressive as a ball handler for a guy that is six foot ten, two hundred and fifty pounds, or you know, two hundred and forty three pounds at the end of every game, like just <laughs> unbelievable yes. in terms of being able to change pace, change direction, whatever you need from him as a ball handler, he can do it. Uh, defensively, I think he's really smart. I think he's a really good rotational defender. He's always in position defensively. I worry a little bit about him in space in the NBA, but yeah, no, no real, I, I have no real um, flaws to like truly like immediately point out with Paulo outside of like, there's probably just not a lot of room for growth with his frame for a teenager. Yeah. Another player in that we, we saw that he, he can also do more, like he can do more of that, side pick and roll stuff and uh, I, I know in the NBA they'll use him more as a screener and then coming off the screens sort of like they, they have with Evan Mobley or frankly as a ball handler like yeah exactly just exactly. use him like bring the ball up the court catch an early screen right into dribble handoff two kick, dribble kick, yeah kick back space out on, on, on the side what, what I want to throw back to you and, and you watch far more NBA than me is so you see him then as a as a four for sure out, out in lineups. Like there's no real scenario where he could be a five. Four in a late game. He'll play five late in games. I okay. Yeah, I, I just like positionally and just going back historically on, on data, and this is what kind of started the the number one pick talk for me is it, how, how high. And, and I remember when we first started doing this, you, you said, you know, I have LaMelo number one, Anthony Edwards two, Wiseman three. In my tiers ranking, they'd still be like third tiers type guys, whatever. Do you see Paolo as like number one pick, absolute cornerstone of a franchise type of guy? Or like he's going to be the second or third guy that we already have pieces. He's a great piece to kind of like be in addition to complement what we have, but not necessarily like the guy. And, and why frame it that way is – there's not a lot of like the guys who are four men who it, it's translated to like long-term success in the playoffs at that position for, for right now, the way the game's trended last five to seven years. Yeah. I see him more as like a second guy. I don't okay. have that changed the conversation. Like I have, a yeah. Like I don't have as high of a grade on him as I had on LaMelo ball, for instance. Okay. Um, I had LaMelo as, like, the highest possible tier two guy that I can have, right? Um, Very, very high grade on him. And, and like, this comes from someone who realistically, like, I only put tier one grades on guys like Cade Cunningham, 
Yeah. Right. Like guys that like I think looks are good. Like, yeah, legitimate like superstars. <laughs> Worked out. Like not a bust. It's it's weird how Cade took twenty games. Yeah, hot I'm take. sorry, Cade Cunningham. Not I can't help myself. Sorry. <laughs> um. So I, I do have a lower grade on Paulo than I did on Lamelo, mm-hmm. but and I in that vein, like I still see him as a number two. I guess like I, okay. I see him more as. Like, I, I would love to see Julius Randle, like, in a number two situation with, like, an elite guard. I exactly. would love to see that, Paolo. That was the example like, I had. Like, like Julius, Zion Williams is not really fair because he's been hurt. But but that type of deal where it's, like, Julius Randle shouldn't be your, your number one if you want to win, if you want to make the East no, Conference well, Finals, something like that. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I see Zion is potentially being able to be a number one if he ever gets healthy. But yeah, but there's um, some it gets the weight under control. But we'll, we'll see what that looks like over the next few years, right? Yeah, um, yeah like the, the situations where Paulo to me, like I, I would love to see Paulo in Oklahoma City. Like put him next to Shea Gilgis Alexander and go. Mm. Like that. That is to me and they, they already kind of have chat they, they have they have, they have poku they already kind of have their their off-brand chat <laughs> but like i think paulo is perfect with poku yeah that, I mean. no i'm, I'm not um, joking yeah like I, I would love to see him there i would love to see paulo in i mean orlando is like a million of these like Every, you know, very long yeah they, they kind of have a lot of everything to yeah honest, they do. Right? <laughs> yeah. um so like i don't know that orlando is like a standout space for him um, you know, I'm trying to think of other teams at the top, like Detroit. Detroit, Detroit fits. Uh, that'd be yeah. fantastic. Like, put him next to Cade and go. Uh, you know, Houston, put him next to Jalen Green and go. Right. Yep. Um, you know, the, uh, there are just so many teams that, like near the bottom. I think could really use uh, Paulo, and uh, I think would use him exceedingly well at the start of his career. So yeah, no, I, I'm a I'm a big Paulo fan. What have you thought of his defense so far? Because I think that that's, um, I, I think some scouts are a little bit split on how high level of a defender he will be in the NBA. Adequate. I don't think it's a negative like like a lot of um, a lot of stuff that I've seen out there. I think he'll learn to to be more. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, like he'll he'll have better reactions and instincts of how to make that first step as time moves on but I don't I don't think he's going to be a, a player in the NBA where there's certain guys that they're in the game and the first three times we're throwing the ball to their man and we're going right at him because they can't defend he's going to be a beat I don't think he has like the best lateral quickness in the world but enough do I think he's the best rim protector in the world no I don't but I think it's it's enough to deter so it's not enough for me to say hey he's going fourth and not second because I'm so worried about his defense in space some concerns it's it's yeah. a blip it's in the scouting report but I'm not using that as like the the be all end all and then the names that I've gotten in comparison kind of vary widely on him from NBA teams. Uh, I've gotten, like, is he more, is he, like, better better worker Michael Beasley? Uh, is he uh, Beasley was more like... Too. I mean, Michael Beasley, I think, is still the most impressive college basketball player, him and Kevin Durant. They're the two most impressive college basketball players I think I've ever seen in my and, life. And ridiculous at Notre Dame prep, too. Like, ridiculous. Yeah, like, unbelievable. So, like, when, when you hear the name Michael Beasley. Not a negative. Like, yeah. Yeah, that dude had all of the skill he could have ever needed. Um, Carmelo Anthony is another name. I've gotten, like, bigger Carmelo Anthony. 
Um, I've gotten more like Julius Randle as like a power player who has like added some skill over the course of his career. Like where are you at in terms of, you know, what the role is and like idealizing like, you know, plays like this guy? I'm a terrible plays like that guy. I think it's it's a hybrid of all those names. I don't see as yeah. much of the Carmelo. I agree I, with I, you for what it's worth. I, I understand with the Carmelo like sort of mid range stuff. It's, it's almost like a Syracuse Carmelo too. If you go back and and watch right. how he yeah. he did a lot of stuff and the the mid post face ups, these short little turnarounds. Beasley was ridiculous. I know it didn't necessarily always work in the NBA. So that's like a, a tougher one for me. I, I see as a number two and, and, and not as a slate. I, I don't see him as the guy. I mean, we're, we're, the comps we're talking about right now are all solid number twos. And that kind of plays to my point of we started here saying, why isn't Jaden Ivey involved when he could maybe be a number one guy, be John Morant-ish, and, and maybe Paul Mancaro's more, Carmel Anthony, Julius Randle, Mike Beasley. Uh, I, I know it's not the always like A to <laughs> A to B comp that like okay that comp is better than this comp so this guy's got to go first, but but enough to to be a discussion. Okay, final point here. Who's your guys? Who who are you guys? What do you uh, mean? What's the order? Oh gosh, I, I was gonna throw it back to you. I'm starting right right here. Right I can now. start. Like I, I'm I'm good with that. If you want me to start, uh, no, I'm I'm brave. I can start. I, I'm I'm. This is tough. Uh, right, right now, and, and I want this to. It's December, whatever, eighth, ninth. I don't know the date it is in Australia. This is not June twenty seventh. The drafts. So we have plenty of time, so so don't timestamp this and say you're wrong on December eighth because I will be. Say right now, I think I would go. Chet, this is gonna be bad because this is the guy's tumbling. It's not his fault. I'm going Chet, Jabari, Paolo, Jaden Ivey, and I don't okay. want this to say that I. I Truthfully, from from my eyes, I think one to th- one through three is very close. It's it's very close, yeah. and, and I don't. Paula being three is not like I'm not a Paula fan. I, I am. I just more of a believer in those other two guys. And Jaden Ivey's knocking on the door, but not quite there for me. Close, not quite. Okay. There. It's December 9th in Australia. Ten thirty four a.m. I'm giving I'm giving the date and time. Okay. I have all four of these guys in the same tier. I think it's very close between all four. Right now, I would go Paulo, Moncaro, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Jaden Ivey, and it's very close. I'm not mad. Like, like I, it's, me, it's not. It's not even like a, a real argument. Like, how dare you have him third, not second? Like, I, I, yeah. I get it, and it's gonna still take a, a full season of film and, and see who they play, and, and not try to weigh too much of the tournament. If this guy's really good or that guy's really bad, and does Paolo bounce back from the cramp stuff? And this is the non-issue the rest of the way. And does, does Chet all of a sudden have more stuff consistently from the perimeter and hold his ground a little bit more? So there's still pieces that like we have to figure out. And the, the, sto- the story is not finished. We still have many pages left in the book of this NBA drafts. Okay. We want to jump in and do some listener questions. Okay. Ooh. First question is from <laughs> JJ Simps 97. What up, JJ? Does the influx of bigs only make a player like Jaden Hardy that much more attractive to teams in the draft? Do you see him going higher than his talent warrants? Well, I, I think my, my question first to you is, what number do you think his talent currently warrants right now? I guess that's to you and not JJ, because he's not recording with us. Outside of the top ten. Yeah. That's, like, I don't even think he's... I, I think he's been pretty bad 
in the G League so far, to be honest. Yeah. Ha- very inefficient. Uh, takes the wrong kind of shots, I, I think, as well. Uh, very turnover prone. It, it hasn't been great so far for Jaden Ivey in the G League. Yeah, I agree. I'm just pulling up kind of where I, I had him now. I, I haven't, um, for Jaden Hardy, I haven't pumped him way down yet. Jaden Hardy, I said. Hardy, I think I said yeah, he threw, he threw me off. Like, where's I doing this? Yeah. I have him eighth. I don't think the influx of bigs necessarily bumps him higher or lower, but it does bump up Jaden Ivey because we're talking about how, how the game has, has trended and, and guards and wings are still in vogue to, to go first. But specifically as a prospect, I, I don't think so with Jaden Hardy. If he was having statistically the type of year that Jalen Green did a year ago, I think this would be a different yeah. discussion. But the ways that he's struggled thus far, he's had a, a couple of games – since the struggle hasn't been as bad, but I, I haven't loved what I've seen on tape. I, I didn't see him enough in high school to know the, the type of player that he is, but there's been more of an adjustment period than I anticipated for him, and it doesn't help with Scoot Henderson playing next to him, who is also taking a little dip the last few games. He's 17 years old, but playing consistently so much better, in, in my eyes anyway. So with, with Scoot being maybe one or two-ish in a year, but Jaden Hardy having kind of his struggles in those same type of offensive reads and looks, he, he he's eight for me, and it's it's fluctuating because I don't think there's like a ton of guys below right now who have made the jump, but not somebody to jump in that top four, five, six conversation. Yeah, I'll be honest. I've liked more of what I've seen from Dyson Daniels so far. Uh, he plays defense. He passes. His game makes more sense in the right. NBA than what – Jaden Hardy's does right now. Uh, I personally don't think that. Look, like like Matt said, if Jaden Hardy was playing better and like his game looked like, you know, frankly, like Cam Thomas's, like he he yeah. looks like a worse Cam Thomas right now. And Cam right. Thomas went twenty seventh or whatever yeah, in the draft, and, and doesn't get a ton of burn right now with Brooklyn either. Right. Um, you know, Cam Thomas stepped into LSU last year was an elite level scorer. Has stepped into the G League this year, by the way, and is oh, like an absolutely ridiculous. elite level scorer. So yeah, no, I I don't think in the case of Jaden Hardy that it matters that right. much. Okay, question number two from Ryan Carroll, RC twelve, the runner. Runner. What were his? What are your Matt Penny, mm. Kevin Costner draft day? <laughs> Blank, no matter what, picks from the last three drafts. So oh, last three. The Wait. non-consensus top prospect that you would slam the table for in but it, order but to this, go. But this is like a little higher. bit of a, a loaded question. The reason I say that is, where am I drafting? Because, like, I, I know that that for me, my my darlings last year were were Josh Primo. And I really like Trey Murphy. I really like Bones Highland. I'm not taking those guys first, yeah. though. So that's kind of like my right. I, I guess that's my in, the runner doesn't have uh, the luxury of, of tuning in here either, chipping in here. But like, what, what's I, I your what's say, your kind of look of it? Yeah, I, I would say let's let's go like number fifteen or something. Oh, like number that. fifteen. Like who, who were your guys? All right, so I think twenty one is easy. I mean, that was that was Josh Primo. And uh, we're, we're yeah, waiting you were, to see. You were all in on Josh. I, I was a primo guy. I was a big, if you remember, in 2020, Isaiah Stewart guy. But that was like around the 20s and not necessarily around 15. Uh, the way the draft shook out, I don't want to be Johnny Revisionist here and, and say that I would have taken Halliburton would have been that low. Uh, I will say this. I was a huge Desmond Bain fan 
And I, I can that live on that. That was the one that and, uh, jumped to mind for me. It, uh, I, I had Bane as a top 20 guy in that draft. Yeah, it, it hurts me. It hurts me to see his success because he was drafted by the Celtics. Uh, Desmond <laughs> was, was definitely my guy, but I, I don't want to take full credit because that was that was a collective win for draft Twitter. We'll, we'll, we'll fight a lot on there. But that was one that everyone like really loved and said, like, this yeah. guy's this guy's going to work. Uh, and now, now I think, yeah, good. Probably uh, yeah, Tyrese Halliburton. I had Halliburton at like six. Or yeah, so, I think I was so six or seven. Not not super high. Then I'd say twenty nineteen as I scroll. Uh, twenty nineteen hurt because I really wanted Tyler Hero on the Celtics. He went the pick before this draft was kind of down. Man, who was my my guy in this draft? This is a tough one. This was a, a little bit of a. A wasteland here. I, I was probably wrong. And you know what? I'm going to put my hand up and say I was wrong. I really like Jared Culver in this draft at like mm, a little bit lower yeah. than he was. And not always right. I, I thought that sort of his size, it would it would work coming out of Texas Tech. And then having those defensive principles of Chris Beard, that was a uh, that was a miss for me. I mean, I, I had Zion 1, Job 2, RJ 3. I really liked DeAndre Hunter too. I, I thought four w- was high. Um, I didn't yeah, know. I didn't know how, I, I how good he would be, but that was a, yeah, another. DeAndre kid. probably would have been my bang the table guy in yeah. that class. I think my people did not like that. He was like kind of polarizing, weirdly, yeah. in that class. And I had him at four. I thought he was like clearly number four. Like I was, I was yeah. heavy. In, I, I uh, think the I, I had a lot of DeAndre Hunter stuff. My. Uh, I think I still like Culver above. I, uh, I'll take a lap here on, on 2019. That would have uh, potentially got me to the doghouse, but Culver was my guy. You know what, though? That 2019 draft is not very good. Uh, <laughs> I keep looking. I'm like, maybe the next pick. Maybe, like, I liked P.J. Washington. I wasn't going to take him sixth. Uh, yeah. Not great. Like I like Nikhil Alexander-Walker. That was wrong. I like Brandon Clark, despite being really old. Uh, yeah. It gets uh, it gets it gets dicey there, but yeah, those those are my guys. Okay, number three from Maxwell Bomboards at Bomboards on Twitter. What do you make of Jean Montero? How do the two of you evaluate him in the environment he's playing in, and which skills he is displaying? Do you think are the most translatable to the NBA? What concerns do you have, I'm guessing, about the environment he's playing in, re-NBA fit, if any? So this is an awesome question because I actually prep for this question. This is a great question. This, is, this I prep for without you asking me because eventually we're going to do a, a lead guards <laughs> podcast. And we'll, we'll go through all the lead we guards. Are. We'll talk yeah. Ty Ty. We'll talk Kenny Chandler. John Montero is one of them because he, he is mentioned anyway in, in this tier of guards. It is very hard. So for overtime elite, you have to help me. You, you have to help us. All the games are streamed on YouTube. It's difficult because the commentary of, of their games is just kind of treated more of like this spectacle, like this all-star game, which I get. Like I get from a, a promotional side, a business side, a marketing side. I, I understand all of that. But if I'm trying to break down a guy's game and see how it translates, and they're playing high school-level talent, I mean, legitimately high schools, like they're playing. It's, it's yeah. not the G League. It's not college a step below. And then the website doesn't have stats or if they do like i did a bad job trying to find them there's 29 guys in that overtime program they need more they need different they need professional basketball promotion and that like we need to see what their shooting percentage is how many turnovers sean montero has so that that's my beginning rant for him 
specifically. Smaller point guard, I think despite his size, he does a solid job being his man in pick and roll, then extending and, and finishing at the rim. Has a really deep range from three and will pull when the guys go under ball screens, which they, they shouldn't. Has become more of a willing passer, but it, it's still like that extra flash flare when it can be simple. Like it doesn't have to be a, a no look 15 feet the, the other way. He can force, like that. also that being said, he can force into smaller windows that kind of pass and shot. I don't know. It's uh, I, I need to keep seeing more. I mean, I, they they have NBA training down there, which which I give them credit for. I, I've just never been a, a huge proponent and fan of, of smaller shooting scoring guards. The some of the teams that he's played, I've talked to their coaches. They've been fans of his game, saying that he he's definitely a, a lottery pick level talent. I, I I don't know if it means me digging more into FIBA or or going to see him in person, but it's just kind of a incomplete for me right now. Incomplete for me too. I have been impressed with a lot of the feel for the game in pick and roll and what I've watched. Uh, I think that that is by far the thing that like, I thought he had it like coming in. Like I knew that he had all of the craft off the bounce, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know it. Right. Like I wasn't like positive that it would translate and I'm still not positive that it will translate frankly to the next level because Like, the guys he's playing against, like, it's just not even college length. It's not no. nearly NBA length. It, I, I don't know what to do with him. Like, he's going to be a guy that, like, is going to have to show up to NBA workouts and be impressive, I think. Like, it's so many of these OTE games are kind of throwaways. Like, if I'm being honest, like, from an evaluation perspective... It's hard. It's really hard. It is. It's hard. It's it's on it's on YouTube. The stuff's not broken down. And, and some of those clips will have, like, what their stats are and they'll physically count them as they're going. But it, it's hard to watch the games and that just just structurally... And, like, they when they play Combat Academy and, and their coach is Jeff McGinnis and he coaches, like, an actual game. Like, that was an actual yeah. basketball game environment and they're on the road. So, like, that's one that you could use. But there's just not multiples of those really out there yet. I know they're having different showcases throughout the year, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of at a a loss right now. Yeah. And this isn't to say we're like throwing away the OTE project. Like it's totally like we, we have no problems with the OTE project. It's just that like um, it's hard to evaluate right now. Yes. I think is the fairest way to say it. Uh, Okay. NBA draft prospects of the week. Uh, Penny, you had one guy that you wanted to highlight. I do. Here, here's my prospect of the week. I am going to go with... Wait, time out. 20 Your game theory, NBA draft prospects of the week. Branded now. We're, we're just going branding. Right. NBA draft prospects. <laughs> okay. I thought you, you had a new like presenting sponsor go. that I was going to have to <laughs> publicize. Uh, I'm going if, if, someone, <laughs> if someone wants to do a presenting sponsor of the game theory, NBA draft prospects of the week, we are open. We're available. Please come at us. Penny, NBA Draft Prospects of the Week. The Game Theory NBA Draft Prospects of the Week. I'm going You're a up. little bit off the beaten path because not necessarily a prospect for, for here and now, but I, I saw enough this week. They're at BC. I'm on Blake Wesley from Notre Dame. Six of five freshmen, averaging nearly 13 a game, shooting 46% from the field, 40% from three. Local kid who went to high school in South Bend and goes up the road to Notre Dame. Had 21 his opening night, and then he had 24 points against Illinois. He was just added to the starting lineup. And he, he's playing a little bit outside of his normal role as he's handled the ball more and initiated the offense. I generally like him more off the ball, kind of as a, a shooter and, and able to get his without having to start and worry about 
setting the offense. He's in the 93rd percentile in synergy for all shots off the dribble. Drives with either hand. He takes on contact pretty well. And it's a heavy load as a freshman. I think sometimes we underestimate how much it is for a freshman who hasn't necessarily played big-time basketball thrown into a starting lineup in the, in the ACC and saying, you're our guy, go figure it out. There's not a, a ton of other offensive weapons around him. And, and like we've said for players like Patrick Baldwin Jr., it's a great developmental situation for him to improve and round out his skill set. I like him a lot. I, I like the shot, even though it looks a little bit funky. His shoulders twist, but it's a quick-ish release. Uh, I love him as a sophomore. Caught my eye. Just excited to see more. Yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, he is 100% on the radar of NBA scouts. Like, as a potential one-and-done that they want to see more of this year. Like, they, they, they're they making stops to Notre Dame to see Blake Wesley. Yeah. Because... He's really emerged. Like, that Illinois game was an eye-opener for people. He went in, he attacked the rim, he finished the basket, uh, made a couple of threes. It, it was a very, very impressive prospect showing uh, yeah. in the Illinois game. I think he had, like, 23 points on, like, 9 of 11 shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was it was a really impressive game. Okay, my NBA draft prospect of the week uh, is Taron Armstrong. Oh, yes, it is. Our kid, is. Taron Armstrong. <laughs> From Cal Baptist, hailing from Tasmania, here in Australia. I mean, we're at the point now where, like, I feel like I was probably, I don't know if I was the first person to tweet about him, but I had to be up there. Like You, I, were, I was you, just you like, were up there. That that was one of those late night texts that I, I wake up to, and yeah. my wife's like, who's that? It's like, it's Jake from State Farm. It's Sam from Game Theory. What, what, what are you saying? Uh, I got to watch Cal <laughs> Baptist in the morning, Taron, Taron Armstrong. All right, go to bed. Uh, you, so, yeah, you, you, you have... You, you, just <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, my phone's on silent. That was just a bit. But uh, you you have, you were on early. I think it was early in the year. I know he, like, opened the year with a triple-double, but you were on there early. Oh, no, it, it was legit, like, uh, San Jose State. It was the fourth yeah. game of the year. Yeah. I was like, this guy is a fucking pro. Yeah. Like, full stop. Um, okay, so Taron Armstrong last night against North Dakota had 11 points, 15 assists, uh, 8 rebounds versus only 2 turnovers. Went 4 of 12 from the field. He had 2 dunks. Like, I am worried about the scoring. I yeah. will like I will preface everything here by what I say. I am afraid by the scoring. Mm-hmm. He's the best passer in college basketball. He is, and I don't even think it's close. Like, I think it is undeniable that he is the best live dribble passer in college basketball right now. Uh, The reads he makes out of pick and roll, the reads he makes in transition, Mm -hmm. the cross-corner skips, like, the absolute unbelievable touch on lob passes, everything. Like, you can point, you can try and, like, pick holes in it. The passing is absolutely exceptional. It is Josh Giddy level honestly like maybe better he's not as athletic as josh was he's not as athletic as josh giddy was and i think he's going to struggle to get into those little creases um in a way that josh doesn't have as many problems with josh is also six foot nine versus taron armstrong who is a six foot five point guard Mm -hmm. but in terms of like pure live dribble passing ability taron armstrong's fucking unbelievable um <laughs> that's a, that's gonna be the the name of the youtube youtube clip it, it is it's it's ter- it's kind of like when when he goes out there and and the way 
he controls the the point of attack. That's what stands out. It's the misdirections. It's yeah. a different look every touch. It, he's a tough assignment because you, you don't know what he's going to do. Like some of his spins, ball fakes, releases are so unorthodox. You don't even know like where you're supposed to cut him off. Yep. Like it might come off one place and it's like ah dunker spot. The next play it's like he looks that way and kicks it out to the corner. So it, right, it, he adjusts. Like, yeah. He he processes the game and the way defenders play him so well. He is constantly looking at the help side defender. Like, I, I don't think he even looks at the point of attack defender, to be no. honest. Like, he's just like, I'm just I'm six foot five, I'm gonna keep him on my hip and I'm gonna be fine. Yeah, I'm he, gonna wait for that help defender to make a read and go. He's just he's a, he's a step ahead. Even a lot of coaches will, will rally against jump passes, jumping in the air and, and then passing. He yeah, like yeah, jumps, yeah. he's like already processed before he takes off and like the pass is there. The the knock I will say is Despite all this stuff, I, I do want to pull back like the extra jewel moves just like a little bit. He can get excited and, and throw a, a, a few extras in there. And then he slows it down and the guy goes back door. He can still perfectly place that bounce pass. It, it's just finding that yep. balance between the crazy uh, assists and just actually like making the, the sound offensive pass read reversal. But I, I like him. He's, he's a fun watch. And it, it's more than people are going to point to that Texas game and, and box score watch a little bit and say he had seven turnovers. The seven turns no. weren't like that bad. Like no, it didn't, watch, it didn't watch look the game. As bad three of them, the yeah, like three of them were actually like bad calls by the official, or uh, like he got hit for a turnover because like a ball hit his offensive player like directly in the hands. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you, you go back and you track them. I tracked like nine potential assists versus four like real turnovers in right. that game. Like it was. He didn't score well and didn't shoot well. And look, there are concerns. Like, they play Arizona later this month. I legitimately would imagine that, like, evaluate scouts will, or like teams will send a lot of scouts to Oh, there'll be a lot. There'll because be a lot. it's the last chance the teams have to see him play like a super high major team unless they make the NCAA tournament. So, I, man, I think he's really fucking good. I think he's like, if this Arizona game goes well and he shows that he can shoot and can score, we're going to start to hear a first-round conversation. Got to shoot, though. What is he right now? I don't have pulled up. It's like 30% from three, something like that. Got to keep the defense yeah, honest. Yeah, 29% from three. Yeah. I've talked to Taryn. He told me that like he feels very comfortable shooting off the catch right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the pull-up stuff that I think he's still working through Right. right now. Um, I'm a fan. I, I am... I don't right now. I don't have him as a 2021 prospect. I see him more as a 2022, or I'm sorry, as a 2022. I see him more as a 2023 prospect. While he improves, uh, adds some strength, and then improves his ability as a pull-up jump shooter. But man, that's that's the home that's the hometown pick. Australia changed you. That's part of just. I mean, a, the that, guy's leading a, the country in assists as a freshman. Like, is it that big of a hometown pick? You guys have one Hogwarts campus there, and all of a sudden, you got every guy that comes out of there. You got to say he's the next wizard. I mean, hey, man, <laughs> it's on brand. Mind? I was like, if you just spin around drinking, and have, and have uh, Armstrong in the back of your your shirt, homemade jersey, drinking coffee out of a out of a Ravenclaw <laughs> cup, we're we're ready to go, baby. Uh, okay, uh, movies. Have you watched any movies this week? Movies? No, I, I have watched some TV. I, I watched Generation Hustle. I watched a bunch of those episodes, just about like scams of the 21st century. Uh, I watched my wife's into Pen Fifteen, 
So we watched a little bit of that, okay. the new season. And then last night, last night I went back after UMass lost to Northeastern, unfortunately, and I watched Landscapers on HBO, the first episode. Uh, kind of has like Land? a... I don't know what that is. It, it kind of has like a, a Fargo-ish feel. The, the story is a British couple in 2014 is convicted of murdering a couple and burying them in their backyard. They've maintained their innocence. It's a four-part series on HBO. Pretty good. Pretty good. Well okay. off beat, but pretty good. Now dive into the 17 movies of Sam Bassini's week. We talked about King Richard last week. Yes. Okay. Did you watch last night in Soho? I told you. I, I didn't. You told me to, and then it's, I looked and it was twenty dollars. I'm like, ah, I got games to watch. I can't do this right now. Yeah, it's weird. Um, yeah. I had a lot more fun with it watching it than I did like thinking about it afterward and how all the pieces fit together. Mm. Um, as you watch it though, like it's Edgar Wright, like it's the guy who did Baby Driver, the right. guy who did Shaun of the Dead. Like he makes really fucking fun movies, and this is just as stylish as what you would think it is. Um, yeah, I. The more I think about like the plot and what he's trying to say, it's it's complicated. Okay. Um, it, it's a movie about a uh, fashion designer, Thomas McKenzie, who's like in her you know late teens, early twenties, goes to a design school in London, and then essentially like finds a way to transport back to the nineteen sixties. Okay. And, thriller ensues let's, let's go with that as, uh, yeah um, the, the preview looked a little wild that i did watch I, i'll eventually it'll get down to the our, our common folk in the streaming land that is part of the subscription but uh from the jump i'd have to just pause it a little yeah uh intrusion the movie you watched a while ago with frida pinto oh yeah yeah, yeah. bad yeah we bad. my wife and i watched it bad. it was uh why? Look, <laughs> Don't you know? You could have read one review, and for a while, I was like, okay. Then it, it, it gets there. You know where it's getting at. It's like, all right. I don't know if this is worth Look, it. Frida Pinto tried. Tried. Like, I'll tried. Give her that. She did. Yeah, she tried. But it, it, it was not very good. No. Um, I watched... So I went through, I was going through, like, the National Board of Review. Their top ten movies came out, and, like, all the awards that they do for mm-hmm. films. And they do top ten independent movies as well. And there's a movie on there called Old Henry, which is this, like, Western movie with Tim Blake Nelson. It was fucking awesome. Okay. It was so All right. good. This is, you, you can't do a, a week without, like, complete left turn somewhere. So if it's number one or, or top ten of the independent list, that's not bad. Yeah, I will tell you, like, this movie will be in my top 20 at the end of the oh, year. Oh, okay. For sure. Like, I, there's a twist at the end. But for the most part, it's like just the simplest, by the book, like nuts and bolts Western action thriller. Okay. And think about like how hard it is for a Western action thriller to end up on the top 10 independent movies right. like of the year list. It's really fucking good. Um, it, it's, it's hard to dive into without like giving away plot details. And I would just like implore people to watch it. It's very good. Um, I saw The Last Duel. And? Bad. You, you want to say it's good or it's bad? Good. It was really good. <laughs> Come on. It's just good. It's just good. Uh, like, another movie that will be in my top 20 to at the it. end of the year. Top 20? I don't, I don't think I've seen 20 movies this year, so I'm, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not the best uh, counter critic here. But top 20 seems, uh, seems pretty high. It'll be in the top 20 at the end of the year. It's, it's different. It's... Um, so it's, it's, you've never seen the movie Rashomon, have you? I don't think so. 
So it's Rashomonic in like it tells the story from Matt Damon's perspective, then from Adam Driver's perspective, then from Jodie Comer's perspective, and then like, you know, all all of that stuff. Yep. Um, Really impressive in terms of like the acting and filmmaking from each perspective. Mm -hmm. Like I, I found... I didn't find that repetitive at, at all. Like, I thought that Ridley Scott did an incredible job. Um, Jodie Comer is unbelievable in the movie. She's phenomenal. She's absolutely great. Um, it, again, like, a movie that it's hard to talk about without, like, diving deep into right. spoilers. <laughs> um, but good. Uh, I saw Tick, Tick, Boom, the Andrew Garfield movie yep. that is on Netflix. I have never watched a movie that was just more not for me. Really? Okay. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see that one coming either. And I love musicals. I, I was going to say I most love... most movies are for you, and especially I don't say especially musicals. I know, but it just right? Feels like up your alley. Like I, I like seriously. Like I have no pro- Like I will watch almost anything. Basically, um, if it's good, it's good. Right. Right. Um, yeah. This, this was. This was. Not your style. Look, like it's like the. It's like the ultimate theater kid movie. Like it's, uh, which is like not an experience I have, I guess. Not, this um, is no La La Land. This is no, uh, no In the Heights. No, it's not. In the Heights was amazing. This yeah. was not very good. Uh, okay. Uh, the Rescue, which is currently <laughs> on. This is a movie podcast. This is now a movie podcast. Uh, the Rescue, which is on the short lists for like best documentary of the year. Mm-hmm. It's about, do you remember in 2018, there was like the Thai soccer team that was stuck in a cave in Thailand? Yes, basically? I do. And they had the divers go down yeah. and they worry about the divers and I do. Yeah. So the people who did the movie Free Solo. Yeah. They got there the second day oh, that this boy. whole thing was happening and have like all of this footage of them rescuing these kids it is unbelievable oh it the, is the, the, the story alone was just insane about like the yeah. water water patterns and the cave and if they went in they could get there but not get out I, i'd be interested in seeing right. that it's free solo you should see and, that. And, and like the the type of film we did for free solo like i was getting sweaty palms and i was sitting on the couch like eating popcorn i wasn't uh free climbing right. structures like i had three guys to add last week good guys but you know they're climbing like whoa, whoa slow down what like what what industry is this yeah like I, I liked free solo i liked this a little bit more than free solo all right to be honest um i i had trouble connecting with the main character in free solo i thought he was just like very selfish and like didn't consider like other people yeah, well, to, to do those pursuits. type of extreme sports, I feel like you have to just be like a, a little bit wired differently in terms of that type of stuff. Because yeah. it's the, the problem. Yeah. When you talk about point guard processing, I can't imagine processing like not having a harness on my back when I'm climbing up thousands of feet on rocks so you don't know where the next rock is coming from. Don't have like a safety yep. parachute. I, that's not for me. I've never been on ice skates. I've never been on skis. So I, I, I'm not this, but somebody who's going to like freestyle climb a, a side of a mountain either. Uh, bruised with Halle Berry, <laughs> the okay. the Netflix movie. Yep, sorry, uh, I, I didn't see. I I get scrolled by it uh, a night or two ago. Yeah, not for me. Uh, it was fine. I mean, like more for me. Like Warrior is one of my favorite movies. So like the idea is for me, but I didn't think this was very good. Not all the way for you. Um, final thing. 
two TV shows, essentially. Okay. I'm two-thirds of the way through the Beatles documentary, Get Back. It is the best thing I've seen this year. It's staggering. Like, they have, like, 60 hours and 150 audio hours of audio recording of the Beatles. And then the way they present it is just like a long free flowing conversation kind of. That's yeah. The studio stuff looked cool. It's really fucking cool. Yeah. It's re- like, I, I'm not even like the world's biggest like Beatles fan. I like the Beatles. Don't get me wrong, but like, it's not something where I am like particularly attached to the Beatles. Right. Yeah. But the, the whole thing about like their process and the way that they went about it and the turmoil and because it's like happening near the end of their run. It's unbelievable. And it's, it's also unbelievable that it's all of these years later. And I don't know if it's rights or licensing or what it was, but like now we have this film like now or, or at least, know, at least yeah. now we have like the world to, to see and watch a process, which is totally. which is pretty cool because sometimes a lot of these documentaries just be rehashes and, and film we've seen, but it seems like it's all mo- mostly new stuff anyway. Yeah, and then the last thing my wife and I finally started is uh, Yellowstone, aka oh. Montana Succession. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Yellowstone. I, I really like. My friends really, really like. Uh, what season are you on? You on one, two? We're through three episodes. Okay, okay. Like, you, you get some time. It hits a while. It hits a certain point where it's the same episode every single episode. Just the arc is is very similar, which is fine. But it's a, it's a great escape. Great. I do like it. <laughs> it seems just totally ridiculous yeah it, like, it's fun um, yeah it's fun it's fun so far i'm i'm pretty in on it cole hauser going from like goodwill hunting friend to like cowboy is an interesting <laughs> with uh with bad guy and too fast too furious in between yeah it's uh it's an interesting um uh, it's an interesting path Sometimes I like to think of those guys like leaving Goodwill Hunting, and that's where he just like drove off. Like Will drove off to to Stanford. <laughs> he drove off to Yellowstone. <laughs> Maybe there's a Ferrari in the in the middle there, Shelby GT500 or whatever it was. That's how we're coming. We're done. This is Penny, good theory. Tell the people where they can find your work. I'm on Twitter. I'm Matt underscore Penny. I'm I'm in more gyms. I'm on the road. I'll be here this weekend. Prep prep events, high school events next couple weeks holidays coming up a lot of college basketball so give me a follow if um, i say Jaden and ivy could be in the conversation they're more picked doesn't mean that he is but uh we embrace debate here too so respond send questions we'll, 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 we do it all here okay uh please go subscribe to the youtube channel game theory uh podcast with sam Bassini. Go rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. I have written a thing on the Pacers potentially breaking up their core with Danny LaRue and Seth Part now. Uh, I am hoping that by the time this goes live, but it might be the next day or like the Monday of next week, I'm going to do a thing on upperclassmen that have broken out this year from an NBA draft perspective. My second pick for prospect of the week this week was going to be Mike DeVoe. Yeah. Um, he'll certainly be written about within that conversation uh i think that's all i've got so penny has to get out of here he has to go to the gym so, go to the gym uh, until next time we will talk soon